Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So that's page 920. Second Peter can be hard to find. Uh, so if you can turn to it, that would be great. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, they are experts in greed, and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. 
if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Thank you. Scarlet, will you pray? Yes. Father, this is a complex and difficult passage. And so we look to you and we ask that you would show us what we need to learn and understand. And I especially pray for Sharon now, that you would use her and speak through her, that her, that it would be clear and we would go away having learnt something new of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. What a passage. Heavy-hitting stuff. I imagine it's going to be a bit like taking a vitamin shot. It's packed with goodness. We need it. But it's not necessarily going to taste pleasant this morning. But thank you, Scarlett, for reading that. It's a long passage, so I'm asking you to keep your Bibles open or your apps open as long as your notifications are off. Because I'd love you to follow along with me. And we're going to be dotting all about and I'm also going to be trying to use this, uh, which is not my comfort spot. So growing in Christ, 2 Peter 2, 1 to 22. But let's remind ourselves of the context of where we've got to in 2 Peter. So Peter is aware that there's rising opposition from outside the church and inside the church. So Peter's written this letter to strengthen the church. And don't we need strengthened this morning? So this is what we need to the first half of chapter one, he says, be encouraged. You have everything you need for life and godliness in Jesus. So in light of that, add to your faith, be godly. The second half of chapter one, we heard this last week, he says, be clear where your authority comes from for faith and practice. It comes from the authority of the Bible. Trust the Bible, he says. It's from God's. It's not made up. And the authority of the Bible is all the more important to believe as we head into our chapter, chapter two, which underlines that the church is under threat for there are traitors in her midst. Now we're intrigued by traitors so much so that films and TV often have traitors at their core of their storyline. Maybe you've seen the recently released traitors on BBC. Here's the blurb that went with the official trailer. Deception, lies, betrayal are the name of the game as four traders infiltrate a group of 24 players and use their skills to eradicate the loyal contestants, trying to win 120,000 pounds in gold discs. So the game show, if you've seen it, involves analyzing one another. It's a bit like the game Mafia that some people play at youth clubs. You're looking for clues to expose the traitors and vote them off. Well, that's the game show. Lots of people were hooked in the UK version over Christmas and apparently just last week, a US version has, has been released. But hashtag not an ad. I'm bringing it up because today, today's past, yeah, I'm not recommending it. I have seen it, it's fine, it's good, but Today's passage is all about traitors. Now, Peter calls them false teachers, but they're traitors. And he's done the work for the churches. He's analyzed and outlined the clues to expose them and to empower the Christians he's writing to and to us here this morning 
so that we're not deceived. And that's our first point this morning. Don't be deceived by the false teachers. Don't be deceived by the false teachers. And as we look down this passage, let's see how Peter has profiled them for us so we can identify them. Here's what they believe. And the summary of all the different verses we're going to look at is that they have an arrogance towards authority. They have an arrogance towards authority. And look down with me at 1B. You can see they deny Jesus as their sovereign Lord. Yes, he bought them, he saved them, but he doesn't get to be Lord over their lives. 10A, they despise authority. Despise is a strong word. They see themselves as above all other authorities, even celestial ones, heavenly ones, in verse 10b. Look at the arrogance, even heaping abuse on heavenly beings. Back to verse 3, they fabricate stories. They make their beliefs up. Why, verse 3, to exploit people. And then if we were to go back to 116 and Next week, we'll see in verse 3 that they have rejected the belief that Jesus will return. And they claim that the apostles are the ones fabricating stories. They've made it up. So in summary, we see they reject the authority of Christ. They deny he's Lord of their lives. And they reject the apostles' teaching, the scriptures. And the irony is that they see themselves as not under authority. They see themselves as superior to heavenly beings. But how does Peter describe them in verse 12? Irrational animals, creatures of instinct. That's very much not the description of superiority. That's inferiority when you're described as a creature of instinct. Because why? They're driven by their desires. And that leads us on to see how Peter profiles their behavior. And the summary here is that they're driven by their desires. They are greedy. In verse 3, it says, in their greed. So they act in greed. Look how 14b describes them. Experts in greed. Now, that's not really an expertise to boast about, to be an expert in greed. And yet, that's how Peter profiles these traitors. Verse 10, the second half of verse 10, they are bold and arrogant. And of course, they're bold and arrogant. If you've thrown off and rejected authority, you're bold and arrogant. Verse 13, the beginning of 13, they carouse in broad daylight. They have totally abandoned themselves to luxury and sensual delights and they're not even trying to hide it in the darkness of night. They're in daylight. They revel in pleasure, verse 13, the second half of 13. They revel in pleasure while they feast with you. Now, feasting was a very common practice across the Mediterranean and for believers in Jesus, for followers of Jesus, the Lord's Supper celebrating communion was part of these feasts. So these traitors, these false teachers are hijacking the celebration of the Christ's death with what probably is their drunkenness and their sensuality. Verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery. They're sexually promiscuous. They are not, deliberately not, following God's good plan 
for their sexuality. The profile continues. Verse 14, they don't stop sinning. You see, this is no situation of warring with sin here. There's no confession and repentance. There's no battling with sin and wrestling with the power of the Spirit. They don't stop sinning. And then Peter kind of sums that up in verse 15. They've left the straight way. Or verse 21, he says, they've turned their back on the sacred command that was passed on to them. They despise authority and they're driven by their desires. Well, let's see how Peter profiles their method, their ministry method, because again, these are false teachers. And the first very effective method is they are among you. That's so clever. There's traitors in their midst, probably, possibly likable, great personalities, maybe knowledgeable about bits of the Bible, And Peter says, they're among you. They secretly introduce heresies. Verse 1b, they slip them in undetected initially, maybe couched in other sound teaching. And they do this secret introducing while they feast with you. There's a real intimacy, isn't there, when you eat together, especially when you celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's their moment where they slip in their heresies. They entice and seduce. Look down at verse 18. Particularly, your version might say unstable. That means the new Christian, particularly the new converts who have recently come to Christ. And they do it by appealing, verse 18, to the lustful desires of the flesh. And I think the imagery here is like a fish being caught by the bait. And it reminds us of Satan in the garden. He encouraged the woman to reject the authority of God's word and enticed her with the attractiveness of the fruit. He appealed to the lustful desire of the flesh. And verse 19, they promise freedom. That's the hook. That's the bait. They promise freedom. So that's their ministry method. And the question maybe we have is, was it successful? And let's continue as Peter profiles their influence, their ministry influence. Look down with me at verse 2. Many will follow. It was successful, it was influential. Second half of verse 2, the way of truth is brought into disrepute because actually those outside the church, they mock the Christians for their hypocrisy because they see their beliefs and their behavior are just like theirs. So they bring disrepute on the truth. Was their ministry influential? Yes, verse 3, people were exploited. Verse 14, new converts were seduced. And 18b describes it as people who have not long escaped the ungodly life. They've just left that stuff behind. They're enticed. Yeah, their ministry methods were effective. Many followed. So as we apply this, as we think about ourselves, are we personally being hoodwinked? Or as we as Christ, are we as Christ City Church being hoodwinked, deceived by false teachers, false teaching? And I think in order to answer that, we need to try and brainstorm together 
what the profile of a traitor today might look like in the church, what a profile of a false teacher might look like. Well, from, where are they? They're among you. So that's potentially Christ City Church, potentially your CU, potentially the podcast, potentially the Christian books you're reading, the Christian speakers online that we're listening to. They're among us. And what might their beliefs be? Well, we're surmising, we're trying to put flesh in what this looks like today, but let's have a go. Maybe they say, let's not talk too much about authority. Following Jesus is all about love and freedom. We shouldn't judge others. No pastor, no other Christian has the right to tell us what to do. It's about me and Jesus. We shouldn't be dogmatic about saying that the Bible tells us all that we need to believe and all that we need to do. Or maybe it's, well, that bit of the Bible isn't really scripture. That's Paul's opinion. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for us, but he wouldn't want you to be happy or unfulfilled. I know the Bible says that, but I feel a peace about changing my view on this. And I'm still believing all the bits about Jesus dying on the cross. For example, 10 years ago, there was an inquiry into a Welsh vicar who literally cut out and burned the bits of the Bible that he didn't agree with. Now, that's pretty extreme. It's far more likely to be subtle ways that we hear this false teaching. For example, when I was a student pastor in another church, a very keen, very committed student told me that they had been reading how God had called Abraham to leave his homeland and to travel to a new land. And this student believed that God was using this passage to urge them to leave their previous beliefs and adopt new beliefs that Christians who are same-sex attracted can marry each other. They were using the Bible to suit their own beliefs, their changing beliefs. Or maybe false teachers say, listen, society has changed, so the church needs to change its beliefs to match the times. So let's be Christians who affirm living together outside of marriage, bless same-sex marriage, and celebrate gender transitions. And right at this moment, over the last few days, in the UK, there's a whole church denomination that's falling into this very temptation, being deceived by false teachers. Now, I wonder if some of you are thinking, oh, here we go again. The church is always going on about sex. There are plenty of issues in the Bible that God wants to renew us and change us on and impact society with. But that's what this passage is mainly about. And it is an issue for our culture today. It's an issue for me and it's an issue for you. And we want to apply God's word right into our lives. So let's continue to profile how a false teacher might look like among us today. And let's consider their behavior. Again, this is some examples. You can think of others. It's fine for Christians to get drunk occasionally or often. God gives the gift of alcohol to enjoy. And after all, we're under grace, not law. It's okay to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé. You might even get married anyway. And it's a natural urge like eating or sleeping. As long as nobody gets hurt, it's okay. It's okay to date and sleep around rather than pursue godly singleness or godly marriage. And don't worry about your porn habit. It's pleasurable. 
It's a natural instinct. Loads of people are doing it. And at least you're not sleeping around. Embrace your sexuality. It's important not to restrict yourself or to squash your desires. God gave us the gift of money. It's okay for me to hoard it, to gather as much as I can for myself. I've earned it after all to become an expert in greed. Now, of course, this is what the world is telling us, media, movies, our friends, but this teaching, Peter's saying, these teachers are among you and we can be sucked in by them. We can be deceived, enticed, exploited because they appeal to us. They appeal to the lustful desires of our flesh and we can be caught by the bait of promised freedom. And that really is the bait. That's the ministry method today of false teachers. They promise freedom. Look at verse 19. They promise freedom. And that is so attractive, isn't it? Who doesn't want to be free? But is it freedom? Are the false teachers free? Look back at verse 19. No, they are slaves of depravity. So the irony is you can't offer what you don't have. So they're not free. They are slaves to a master. And the master is their own lust, their own desires. So it may sound like freedom initially, have sex outside marriage, redefine marriage, change your sex if you're experiencing gender confusion. That sounds like freedom. But if we let the lustful desires of the flesh rule, then we will be ruled by them. Look at the second half of verse 19. People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So developing this theme, Peter profiles that the false teachers are springs without water. So it promises to refresh you, to quench your thirst in a dry, arid desert. But they are dry. They are barren and it just compounds your thirst. So Christ City Church, if we throw off the authority of Jesus and his word, if we cease to follow him as our loving, good master, then we'll end up being enslaved. We'll end up being mastered by the corrupt desires of our flesh. We'll be like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct. This is sobering stuff. Let me give you some good news. In the midst of this, in contrast to the false teachers, Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I wonder, are you feeling enslaved this morning? Enslaved by your own sinful desires? Maybe you're feeling tempted this morning to be seduced by this false teaching. These false teachers phony offer of freedom. Maybe you know you're feeling tempted to reject the authority of Christ and his word in your beliefs or in your behavior. Let me urge you and urge myself to run back to Christ. He is where true freedom is to be found. But how serious is all this? What's really at stake? 
in the Traders TV game show. Believing that traders are innocent and not identifying them as traders can lead to you being killed off, which just means having to leave the game early. Or if you survive, but you still haven't identified the traders, will you get to the final? But if they're in your midst, they get the 120,000 pounds. So they get the prize money and you walk away with nothing. But 2 Peter 2 is talking about something way more serious than prize money or your bank account. Being deceived by false teachers among us has eternal consequences. So let's remind ourselves of how Peter profiles their destiny. Second half of verse 1, they bring swift destruction on themselves. Verse 3b, their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. What a powerful way of putting it. Their destruction has not been sleeping. 12b, they're born only to be caught and destroyed and like animals, they too will perish. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. And 17b, blackest darkness is reserved for them. That's sobering. That's heavy stuff. We must not be deceived. We must not be seduced by the promise of freedom because it's phony, it's fake, it's enslavement. And the destiny for this type of teaching and this type of lifestyle is destruction. So the stakes are high. But Peter doesn't leave it there. He knows that there might be doubts among the churches that he's writing to about whether that Christian's really going to make it to the end with these traitors in their midst or whether the whole church is going to survive and make it to the end with these traitors in their midst. So Peter wants to reassure the readers that they really can be confident that he will deal with the false teachers. So he gives them three examples from the Old Testament reminding the church then and us here today that we can trust God to act. We can trust that he will judge the false teachers and rescue and keep the church. So firstly, we saw don't be deceived by the false teachers. Secondly, take heart. This is good news. Take heart. The Lord will judge and the Lord will rescue. So firstly, the Lord will judge. And we see that in verses two to nine we have an example of cosmic judgment in verse four. When the angels sinned in heaven, they were sent to hell in chains of darkness and held for judgment. No one is exempt from judgment, not even the angels. Then in verse five, we have an example of global judgment. And this is our uh, friend Noah we learned about in Sunday school. In Noah's day, the ancient world did not repent of their ungodliness, so they were wiped out in judgment by God in a flood. Then verse 6, there's an example of local judgment. And there's two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And their ungodliness resulted in the cities being burned in judgment. And verse 6b in our passage says, God made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. God takes sin seriously. And next week, chapter 3 is going to remind us that even though the false teachers doubt it and say that it's made up, and undermine such teaching, the day of the Lord is coming when Christ comes back to judge the ungodly. 
So verse 9b in our passage says, The Lord knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Take heart, the Lord will judge. But take heart, the Lord will rescue. And further good news, 9a, the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials. Let's look back at those Old Testament examples. Yes, God judged the ungodly by sending a flood, but glance down with me at the second half of verse 5. Do you see that? He protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Yes, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but look at verse 7. He rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. Now, it doesn't say that Christ will rescue the perfect, the sexually pure. None of us would have any hope this morning. And Lot, this is what gives me encouragement, Lot was far from perfect if you read Genesis. No, if you sorrow over sin, and if your life is shaped by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what godliness is in this context. A life of sorrow over sin and repentance and faith. So what effect should these examples of judgment and rescue have on us? I think firstly, be warned. If you're a false teacher, or if you're seduced by them, your destiny, according to this passage, is clear. The Lord will judge, and destruction is waiting. It's right to feel sobered by this passage, to receive the warning. Don't we need warning if destruction's ahead? So be warned. But take heart. If we as a church continue to submit to Christ and his word, as our authority for faith and practice, then the Lord will rescue us from this trial. It's a promise. And as we've just seen from those three Old Testament examples, he's got a track record of keeping his promises. So take heart, the Lord will rescue. These Old Testament passages are so reassuring. But as we consider how Christ judges and rescues, we look ultimately to the cross. Look to the cross. This is as we finish. Look to the cross. For it's at the cross of Christ where we see judgment, the very judgment that you and I deserve being taken by Christ. We face judgment, yes, for the ways in which we, in thought and deed, we have sexually sinned. We face judgment for all the ways we have fallen short of God's glory not loving him with our whole heart, not loving our neighbor as ourself. We have fallen short of God's glory in every aspect of our life and Christ takes it and absorbs it, absorbs God's right, God's right wrath at our falling short, at our sexual falling short. So that on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. And Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you and I are following Jesus, his cross is a place of rescue for us because he's taken the destruction, he's taken the judgment and we breathe the air of forgiveness. That's freedom. 
Are you trusting in Christ's death on the cross for you? Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, judgment and destruction is what's waiting for you. It's not easy to say this, but this is what God's word is saying. Hear God's word to you today. Find eternal rescue, true freedom in Christ. Repent and believe the good news. Believe in the Lord Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, Christ City Church, us together, are you tempted at the minute to despise the authority of Christ? Despise the authority of the Bible to change your beliefs and practice to suit the sinful desires of your flesh? We'll all battle this at some point. Hear God's word today. There are traitors among us. So don't be deceived by false teachers who promise freedom. Take heart. The Lord Jesus will judge and rescue. Well, as I pray for us, I'd like to invite the band to come. Let's take a moment to pause and allow God's word to sink into our minds and hearts. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. We've even glimpsed a little bit of your holiness this morning as we see how seriously you take sin. And it's sobering, oh God, it's not been pleasant to taste. But we know that this is what we need. This is what you believe we need today. This will do us good. Your word is living and active, useful for teaching, rebuking, encouraging, and training us. So we pray that your spirit would train us and rebuke us and encourage us this morning through the word we've just heard. And I pray, oh God, specifically for those who are feeling enslaved by their own sinful desires. And I pray that they would feel sorrow over that and come in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus and taste that forgiveness and that freedom that only he can offer. And I pray for us as a church that in all the ways we might be tempted in belief, in doctrine, in behavior, in lifestyle to reject what your word says because it feels uncomfortable, it feels out of date, that you would enable us to stand firm therefore and not take on that yoke of slavery again. We pray that you would enable us to be encouraged and take heart that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. And so we pray, keep us, rescue us, keep us going to the end. We need you, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.